Greetings in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> in our Sunday school class, we talked about uh, some likely differences uh, that uh, were between the, the Old Testament and, and the New Testament concerning uh, the text of concerning the, the uh, subject of our of our Sunday school discussion and some differences between the old and the new. Um, I'm suggesting to you this morning, for one thing, uh, that uh, there's a difference in the work of the Holy Spirit between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you read what Jesus had to say about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Comforter after he would leave, then you would have to agree that there's apparently a difference in the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as compared to the Old. Now certainly the Holy Spirit did its work in the Old Testament. It came upon people at special times for special needs, and it still did that, uh, does that, and, and it's recorded about that also in the New Testament. But as far as him coming as a comforter, uh, coming when Jesus left, and coming at Pentecost and so forth to dwell in the hearts of believers, we have to agree that uh, and realize that there was a difference. There is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I've titled the message for this morning, the, po- the Potential of the Holy Spirit's Work in Us. And I'm uh, confessing myself, and I-, I feel like that most of you would too, that you would say that, yes, uh, there's too many times when I uh, am restricting or don't allow the Holy Spirit to move me as he would like. That, that I, I restrict the, the potential power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. Probably most of us would, would confess that. The potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Um, after a couple of verses of, of, of introduction, I would like to kind of break it down in, into three parts. First of all... Um, Jesus, some verses, uh, some passages concerning what I'm calling Jesus and the Spirit. And then I would like to look at just one passage where the Apostle Paul talks about the work of the Spirit in the believer. And you realize, you know, we could probably go many places with the Apostle Paul talking about the Spirit working through the believer and in the believer, but we'll just restrict that to one, one passage. And then thirdly, after we do that, um, uh, I would just like to turn to the book of John and, and, and go pretty much in order and just look at some various passages concerning uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the lives of people and what Jesus said could happen when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Let's, for introduction, let's look at, um, first of all, um, Acts 1.8. And already many of you say, well, I know that verse by memory. And yes, you do. So since you know it so well, you can turn there if you'd like, but, but I'd like for us just to, to say it together. <clears throat> Acts 1.8. 
and I am underlining and emphasizing word number one, two, three, four, five, the fifth word. Thinking about the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Let's say together Acts 1 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You've heard me say this something like this before, but you know we can we can say these verses that we memorize in Bible school or Sunday school or something, and we feel kind of good about ourselves because we can just say it without missing a word. And we may do that and overlook the words. And these are the words of Jesus. Um, by the way, let's just, you don't have to look at that anymore because you can quote it by memory. So if I refer to it, you know, it's not like that you have to turn to it in your Bible. But, of course, I already suggested, look at the fifth word. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it came upon us at the day of Pentecost. And I, I asked myself and I asked you this morning, what are you doing with that power, the potential of that power in your life? Where did that verse come from? Of course, Luke here is writing what we call the, 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 the book of Acts. And he was quoting Jesus. If you would, turn back to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. <clears throat> and um, that's uh, probably what he, was, uh, what he was referring to when he, when he quoted Jesus right there in, in Acts 1.8. But Luke 24 and the end of the, the book, the chapter, verse 49. Luke 24, 49. And these are the words of Jesus, as you say, as you see. And Jesus said in verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And when we, when we read in the book of John, all that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and the Comforter coming after he leaves and coming to them. Of course we read that and we don't think it was just for a few people on the day of Pentecost. We, we read that and we say, yeah, that's for us. That's for us. That's for us. Well, what are you doing with the power? Are you utilizing the power? Do you realize the power? Are you letting the power of the Holy Spirit work in and through you? Until, Jesus said at the end of verse 49, until ye are endued with power from on high. I will send the promise of my Father. And he talked about that at great length in, in, in the Gospel of John that we'll look at later. <clears throat> okay, with, with that little bit of introduction then, let's, let's consider just a, a few scriptures concerning what I said is, I'm calling it Jesus and, and the Spirit. While we're here in, in, in the book of Luke, if you'll just turn back to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Luke. And uh, beginning with the first verse. Now as you look at chapter 4 of Luke, already many of you realize, oh yeah, this is where Jesus was, was, was tempted. And so uh, you might guess why I'm, why I'm looking at that. 
But when you, when you, yeah, there again, you know that passage very well. You know he was tempted in three different areas and what happened and he quoted scriptures and so forth and, and you, can all, you, you can all tell about that story. But do you remember what it says about the spirit in Jesus during this time? And what I'm getting up to, and we'll look at this and then we'll look at one other verse, is the fact that Jesus being perfect and being the greatest example ever, he, in his bodily form, as he humbled himself and, and left the glories of heaven and came to earth in a, in a physical body, we believe it was a body just like yours and mine that had, that had, that had muscles and blood running through it and, and so forth and could be injured and hurt and all that and maybe get sick and so forth. Uh, we believe it was that type of body. And while he humbled himself and came to earth and lived that perfect life here on earth, he did it in the power of the Spirit. He did it with the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4 verse 1. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. This is not talking about Paul or Peter or somebody in the New Testament early church. It's talking about Jesus. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, if Jesus needed to operate that way, how much more do I? How much more do you? And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. If, I'm going to tell you in just a moment by looking at another verse, he was definitely full. He was full of it, so you might underline in your Bible, full. And that the fact that Jesus, this was Jesus. Well, you know, we're tempted to think, well, well, you know, he was God already. I mean, why does it say that? Why did he need to be full of the Holy Ghost? I mean, he was God already. I mean, he was the Holy Ghost. I mean, but this is what the Bible says. That Jesus, as he was here in his human form, he made full Space in his body, in his life, in his soul for the work of the Holy Ghost. Perfect example. Don't you and I want to be more like that? And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, and you know the rest of the story, he went through those, that time of temptation. And he, and he came out victorious every time. And you know full well many times when you've been tempted and you've fallen and you've not been victorious and you would confess yes I, I uh, the Holy Spirit was tapping me on the shoulder the Holy Spirit was trying to help me the Holy Spirit tried to teach me this a week ago and I wouldn't listen and now here I am and I failed so then Jesus was tempted he came out victorious all the time of course now look at verse 14. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Wow. That's wonderful. I mean, what can you say? It makes me stop and think, God, why, why I didn't remember that verse long ago? I mean, if Jesus operated that way, if he needed to operate that way, if the Bible says that's how he operated, why don't I realize that I have to operate even more that way? 
being so, so human and so prone to mistakes and failures. But it says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He he could be who he was. He could be what he was because he allowed the fullness of the Spirit to work in and through him. In verse 18, and then as you look at verse 18 and following or just before that, again, you see what's happening. So Jesus goes into the temple with with the big man in the temple uh, um, the, the synagogue and, uh, and he opens up the scripture and he starts to read and what does he read? he reads verse 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me this is from Isaiah of course and that's how he began that's how he began that's the first thing he read there according to what's recorded here the spirit of the Lord is upon me Oh, would to God that we would begin every day like that, that we could say that we could confess and it would be true in our life that as we begin each day, we would say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord, I've I've, I've, uh, awakened from my sleep. I I have my mind. I have my sound mind. I'm thinking now, and I'm going to let the fullness of the Spirit lead me today. This is what Jesus said as he, that young man standing in front of those old men that knew all the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and he stood, sat there and read to them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you know the rest of the verse. I won't read it, but we could. <clears throat> Let's look at, um, at one verse, just one verse in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, to help us see again the fact that the Spirit of the Lord was not restricted. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit was not restricted in any way, shape, or form in the life of Jesus. John chapter uh, 3 and verse 34. John 3.34 for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. Now, of course, this is, a, this is John the Baptist, uh, as you see, uh, uh, talking about Jesus and him being baptized and him beginning his ministry and so forth. We don't have time to, to read all that, but you could. But, but verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. And that simply means God gives the Spirit to him in its, in its fullness. The Spirit was not restricted in any way, shape, or form. The Spirit was not diminished or restricted in any way in the life of Jesus. He gives it to him without measure. That's what it says. But you know what the Bible says about what we can do with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you and I can resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can tempt the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in the Old Testament that we can vex the Holy Spirit. But for Jesus, 
It was given to him without measure. He had the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. No wonder, no wonder he could do what he did as he walked on this earth. Let's just take a moment to look at one other place here. Uh, When Jesus was casting out devils one time, Matthew 12, Matthew 12. Uh, Again, you know, this is what the Bible says. You know, we might say, well, Jesus, you know, yeah, it's kind of a new thought to me, this thing about Jesus and the Spirit working so mightily in his heart and life. But I've already read numbers of verses that show us that, and of course I'm not reading them all. But, um, you know, we think about, you know, God doing his thing, and Jesus was his person and did his thing, and then there's a third person called the Holy Spirit. But of course they're so entwined, and that's why we call it the Trinity, because it's three in one. (laughs) And and, and yes, uh, Jesus was Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the Son of God, but what we're reading here this morning is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit moved in a mighty way and worked in a mighty way in His heart and life. And if it did so with Him, how much more you and I, we know we need it. John, uh, what am I saying? Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And I just want to point out something here about Jesus uh, uh, at confessing and, and, and teaching that the Spirit was working in, in him as he did what he did. Matthew 12, uh, verse um, 28 is the focus verse, but uh, we could read more than that. Um, just look at verse 24, first of all, to get the setting here. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fella doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So they, they, they realized that to cast out devils, you must have a special power. Okay? They said, Well, Jesus, Jesus, this devil he cast out, uh, he had to do it by, by, the, the, by Satan, by... Uh, by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Okay, um, then verse, um, let me just read, continue to read a few verses here. Verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then this kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall, shall be your judges. Verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. And we could read more here to give a little more detail, but I'll stop there. So we see there, he, realized, he, he, he was saying too, to do this type of miracle, it takes special power. It takes the power of God. Or it takes the power of Satan. He, he said, you know, Satan does miracles too. 
Now he said, you know, you're, you're, giving, you're, you're saying that I did it by the power of Satan, and I'm saying I did it by the Spirit of God. I'm just reading that, this passage and turning here just to help us see that he contributed it to the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him that he was able to cast out this demon. the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. There's so much potential there if we would only let Jesus be our example and open up our hearts fully that the Holy Spirit could fully do its work and we would not grieve the Spirit, we would not resist the Spirit, we would not tempt the Spirit, we would not vex the Spirit as apparently sometimes we do. Let's look then, as I said, at just one passage from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. Um, beginning to read at verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2. First of all, verse 4, Paul speaking here, And my speech and my preaching was not within enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul was confessing right there. And he confessed this various other times, and you... You, you would, it would come to your mind maybe some places where he said something similar to this. He said, it's not in me. If I've said anything that's been helpful, spiritually helpful to you, it's not in me. If I said anything that's, that's to the honor and glory of God, it's, it's really not, not from me. But it's by the Spirit working in me. I don't, have, I don't speak well. You know, I stammer around in my talking sometime. I, uh, I, it's not by enticing words. I don't have the, the, the best words sometimes. I don't have the best wisdom sometimes. But it comes through the wisdom and the power and the, and the, of the Holy Spirit. It's not of man's wisdom, but in demonstration, what I'm doing, Paul was saying, is a simple demonstration of what the Holy Spirit can do in and through one's life if they allow it to happen but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He couldn't say spirit there without putting power right beside it. And did we start with that this morning? We certainly did. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That was Paul's testimony. Uh, let's look at a few further verses here. Beginning at verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they knew it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he quotes, verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But, we must continue, you must look at both sides of this word but, verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, sometimes people read verse 9 in the wrong way. And I talked to somebody just recently that said, yeah, sometimes people read that verse and they stop right there. And how can you read a verse that has a but right after it when you know it's going to say something concerning the one you just said? Like verse 10 begins with the word but, and we've talked about that many times before. You can't just stop at verse 9. If it says but, there's something on the other side that relates back to verse 9. And sometimes people read verse 9 and say, and, and read it in a very positive way, like, you know, the things of God are so wonderful. Well, they are, but that's not what we're talking about here. The things of God are, are, are so much beyond us. Well, they are, but that's not the emphasis here. <clears throat> the emphasis is that we can't understand the things of God but by the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say that further, and he says that in other passages of his writings also. So with that in mind, let's read verses 9 and 10 again. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that, lo- that love him. We can't understand. We can't see. He uses, he, we can't see with our eyes. We can't hear with our ears. Uh, the heart is next. We can't understand in our hearts. Because God is so above us and and it leaves us in a dilemma. Well, I mean, how can we understand then? How can we know God? How can we know about God and and what he would like to do for us? Well, it says it in the next verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And then he goes on to say that, you know, natural things, natural men can understand natural things, but spiritual men need to understand spiritual things by the Spirit of God in them. And so you can read the rest of those verses later, but we won't take time to do it right now. The importance of the Spirit moving in and through us, you see. Paul, Paul was recognizing that. He recognized it in his personal life in verse 4 of how he preached and teached. He recognized it now in a general way in the lives of people that want to know the things of God by saying that we can't understand, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't know, but the Spirit of God can help us understand and see and know and so forth. Verses 9 and 10. That's just one little passage there from the Apostle Paul. And maybe for some homework you could look at some parallel passages to uh, 1 Corinthians 2 here uh, that, that Paul wrote or maybe some other Bible uh, in New Testament writers wrote concerning uh, the importance of the Spirit helping them to, to live right and to understand the things of God. Well then, thirdly, let's... Just look at, take the, the Gospel of John and look at some, some passages. Um, you, you, might, you might do this for homework also, just for your interest's sake. Uh, take a concordance or something and uh, look to see how often 
the, the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God or the Spirit or whatever, is referred to in the Gospels. And you will, you will find that in the Gospel of John, uh, there's, there's so much more about the Holy Spirit than in, in the rest of the Gospels. That may be neither here nor there. I'm just saying that for interest's sake. But anyway, let's turn to, uh, to John now. And, um, um, well, first, uh, verse, first of all, in chapter 1. John chapter 1, one, one, just one verse only. <clears throat> verse 33, chapter 1, verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. He's saying, Jesus baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. He also said that you'll be able to see, apparently in a visible way, something happening in a visible form as if it were the Holy Spirit coming to Jesus. All that's in verse 33. You'll see the Spirit descending, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. That's Jesus. We, we, we teach and preach that when someone comes to Jesus, when someone recognizes Jesus as their Lord and their personal Savior, that they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we have that potential. We have that potential of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Would to God that we would allow the full potential of that to work in and through us. John chapter 3. And you know the story in John chapter 3. Um, you know John 3, 16 and 17, and you know before that the reason he, Jesus said what he did in verses uh, 16 and 17 because he was talking to Nicodemus who came to him by night. And there again, a story that, you know, some of you learned as a, as a, at a young age, you know, in Bible school or Sunday school uh, about uh, you must be born again, what Jesus said to Nicodemus. But anyway, let's look at a few of these verses in John chapter 3. Uh, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, well, you know the story. Nicodemus didn't understand how a man could be born a, a second time. But Jesus was not talking about a physical birth. Jesus was, being, was talking about being born of the Spirit or being born uh, by the Holy Spirit or having a, a birth in, in, in one's soul that had to do with the Holy Spirit coming in. So let's read a few other verses. That's verse 3. Then verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in verses 6 to 8, Verses 6 to 8. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's a real thing. It's a definite thing. It's something that happens. And he compares it. He takes several lines here in the verse to, to compare it to the wind. And we can all understand the wind. We, we can't see the wind. Uh, we don't know where the wind comes from. Uh, it just comes around the tree or around the corner. Well, where did it come from? We're not sure. But it comes from somewhere, apparently. Uh, we actually can't see it. But we can see the results of it. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it came from and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We can't explain all the details. We, we, we can't see it with our physical eyes. But God gives the Spirit to those that love Him. And Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we've already talked uh, long enough about the power, the potential, the power that's there if we only let it work in our lives. And Jesus is a perfect example of how he let it work in his life. The tremendous power he had. And I'm not suggesting that we're to run around and act like we're Jesus. I'm not saying that. But it certainly has something for us to, to learn and to think about. <clears throat> Um, well, let's move on to, um, we could say more about some of the verses here, but we just don't have time. Let's continue to uh, turn uh, chapter 6, John chapter 6. Verses uh, in chapter 6, beginning at verse 54. Now... As you look here, uh, and we could read various verses here, but one of the things Jesus was talking about here to the people, he was saying, look, you you Bible, you Jews, you, you Old Testament scholars, you know and you remember that in the Old Testament, your forefathers lived, and the only reason they lived as they were wandering in the wilderness is because they ate the manna that God gave. And if they would not have had that manna that God provided, they would have died. And with that in mind, with that background, with that remembrance, this is what he says beginning in verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal, hath eternal life. See, there, there's so many words you must emphasize here. Your forefathers ate the manna that God gave. Yes, God provided it. He was so gracious and good to provide the manna, but it did not give them eternal life. They died. They're not living anymore. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 
He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. You see, he's already starting to explain a little bit what he's saying. We know that he's, he's not saying you actually have to take a bite of my body or actually take a sip of, of my blood. He, he's not saying that. He, he's talking parallel things here in, in metaphors here. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, verse 56, dwelleth in me and I in him. He's talking about some very close relationship here now. But, but he's, as an example, he's saying you need to take of me. Somehow you have to take of me. You can't just think that I'm going to give you little drops of manna like they did in the Old Testament. We're, 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 we're way past that. Now today in this New Testament here, you have to actually take of me and take of me inside you some way and how. Verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father... So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And, and we know that he's not talking about our, these bodies living forever. But he's talking about our souls living eternally. And he already talked about, already pointed out eternal life in an earlier verse. Eternal life. And we know, I didn't say this, but I'll say it now. We know he wasn't talking about physical living forever because he said at the end of verse 54, I will raise him up in the last day. He's talking about something beyond the physical. Now, to some some of that up and to help us understand some of that a little more look at verse 63 verse 63 it is the spirit that quickeneth and quickeneth means gives gives life it is the spirit that gives life the flesh profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life and so he's saying no, you don't actually take a bite out of my body or, or sip some of my blood. No, it's, it's not that. It's like that. It, 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 you have to take me into you. You have to take the spirit into you. It's a spiritual birth, like I told Nicodemus. It, it's not, an, a, 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 again, a natural rebirth. It's a spiritual birth. And it is a... It's not my actual physical body and blood that will give you eternal life. It's the spirit that gives you eternal life. It's a spiritual thing. It's the spirit that giveth life. Not my actual blood and, and, and body. <clears throat> the power of the spirit. <clears throat> Chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37. John 7, I'm going to read three verses here, 37, 38, and 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, there he goes again. It sounds like a physical thing, does it not? 
but let's read on. Verse 38. He that believeth on me. See, he's already explaining himself already. He that believeth. That's something that's not a physical. That's something in our souls, in our minds, in our spirit. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now what does that mean? He did not leave us wondering there, but this Bible goes on to explain it in the next verse. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And there early, early in John, John wrote that order of things there that must happen. And later on in John, which we'll look at shortly, uh, Jesus said, yes, this is how it is. I must go before the comforter can come. I must go, and then you can have even more power because you'll have the spirit living in you. We'll look at that momentarily. But here at verse 39 again. But this spake he of the Spirit. You can see, if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you in a powerful way, it will have an effect on others. He that, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly, out from him, shall flow rivers of living water. That doesn't mean just Good water to drink so you don't get thirsty. That's talking about spiritual living water that can have an effect on others as it flows out from you and they can see the Holy Spirit and God living in you and they will desire that living water for themselves. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this he spake of the Spirit, which should come after he ascends. John chapter 14. John in chapter 14. Chapter 14, first of all, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. How can that be? Why? Well, he says the answer right away, because I go to my father. Well, what does that have to do with it? Because after he goes to his father, then the spirit will come. And not only will we have Jesus in our sight, I mean, we won't have Jesus in our sight anymore. We can't paddle around behind Jesus and try to learn from him here in the physical. We will have the God, the Holy Spirit actually living in our hearts and lives. We will have a teacher in, in, in us that will be there constantly, 24 hours a day, and will never leave. That's why it's better that he leave. So the Holy Spirit could come and dwell in the hearts of every believer. Because I go to my Father. Verse, and then verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, does that sound like power or what? 
And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But this will happen after I leave, Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your hearts and to dr- uh, abide with you forever. And, and, and I'll talk just in a moment about this thing. of He's called, in the, in the King James, the, the word comforter is used many times. And um, th- that Greek word is so full there that um, we find out that different, different versions, different translations use various words to try help, to help us understand the fullness of that word that we have here in the King James, comforter. Verse 16 to 18. Verse 16 to 18. This is John chapter 14. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Don't, ever, don't forget the word another there. It's like Jesus said to his disciples, I realize I'm a comfort to you. You like to walk with me. You like to be with me. You know, I, I tell you the truth, and, and the truth is always comforting, and, and it's helpful, and, and it gives us peace because we know it's the truth, and it hurts sometimes, but yet, but yet that's what we need, and we know somebody's talking, you know, from solid footing and foundation, and, and so, so, you know, the truth is, is, is right and, and proper, and it gives us comfort, you know, when we know what the truth is. And here he used the word, and, and he shall give you a, a, another comforter. I'm going to go away. I won't be here to comfort you anymore. But I will send something that will be even better than me being here with you because he can be the comforter in the heart of every believer. Verse 16 again. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I'm not going to take a lot of time on describing those last few words of that, words of that verse, but it's, maybe it's a good homework assignment. <laughs> Notice the the tense of the things, uh, the order of the things in those last line or two of that verse. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And then in the future, like after I leave and the Holy Spirit comes down, shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit in your hearts and lives. Now, at this point, let me just mention a few of these words. So I said various translations and, and, uh, and versions and stuff use various words for comforter, such as this, counselor, advocate, meaning to, to encourage and to support. Another word, helper. Another phrase in another version, someone else to stand by you. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 
that's for you and me. That's for everybody that believes. That's for ones that keep his words. Abode with him, like the Holy Spirit living in us. Verse 26 and 27. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Hey, look, we're talking this morning about the potential of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. Do you want to remember what God says? Do you want to remember tonight what you need to remember for the service tonight? Is the Holy Spirit living in your heart and life? Well, then it can happen. That's what I just read. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. That's it. Wow, that's powerful. To teach you all things, that's very powerful. That's the potential of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Wonderful. That, that's so beautiful. That's the potential of the Holy Spirit if we only allow him to work in and through us fully. He will bring things to our mind that we need to know when we need to know it. We must not stop with verse 26. Verse 27 comes right behind it. And it begins with the word peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. No, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. I'm not talking about that kind of peace. I'm talking about a different kind of peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because with my Holy Spirit in your heart and life, by the way, he's called the comforter. He will comfort you in such a way that you'll have total peace. You'll go through difficult times, yes, but you'll have peace in your heart. Because you'll know the Prince of Peace. And the peace of the Holy Spirit will dwell right in your heart. That's the peace I'll give you. Chapter 15. Uh, this is almost a sideline. When I read it, I just had to bring it to your attention this morning. Um, just one verse in, in chapter 15. That is verse 26. You want to see a verse? Verse 26 of chapter 15. You want to see a verse that says Trinity two times in the same verse? It's verse 26 of chapter 15. Look at it. But when the Comforter is come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, that's Jesus, to you from the Father. There's the Father. So already in those two lines you've had the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Now read on. Even the Spirit of truth, there's the Spirit again, which proceedeth from the Father, there's the Father, he shall testify of me, that's the Son. <laughs> Beautiful. The Trinity right there, just like that, two times in one little verse. John 15, 26. Let me close this morning by looking at a few verses in chapter 16 yet. Chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. 
that he's already said that. I mean, already, I've already tried to explain that this morning, why it was best for him to go away. And now he's saying it again. Is it expedient to you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, you know, there's three things that I won't take the time to look at all three of them, but I must look at the second one. Reprove the world of righteousness. In other words, put it in other words, he will tell you what is right. Did we say already that the Holy Spirit will teach us? The Holy Spirit will guide us? The Holy Spirit will help us? The Holy Spirit will help us understand? That's the second thing here. Verse 10. He said the three things in verse 8. Now verse 10. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. In other words, I won't be here to tell you. I won't be here physically, bodily to tell you what is right and wrong again. But the Holy Spirit will be in your heart, and he will tell you what is right. How beautiful, how wonderful the potential of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We can know what is right. And then verses 13 to 15. Verses 13 to 15. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. You just have to start making lists here. I should have suggested this at the beginning, but I, I didn't even list these myself. But I should go through this message now again sometime and just make a list of all the benefits of the Holy Spirit. All, all the, the, the potentials of the Holy Spirit. All the beautiful things that the Holy Spirit does in and through us if we only allow it to happen. Verse 13 to 15. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. See, there's another one. Guide. He will guide us. You want to be guided? Uh, the Holy Spirit will do that if you will allow him to. He will guide you into all truth. Not just guide you anywhere, but guide you into the truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall... Here, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You want to know what's ahead? You want to know what you need to do in the future? What's ahead? It says he will show you things to come. By the way, the word show is used in the next two verses also. Notice it, verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you if you will only allow him. And me too. In verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. There's so much potential there. If we would only avail ourselves to it and open up so that he can have full room in our lives. Let's have a closing song.